0: Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Glory to the Newborn King. That song and all the songs we just sang are some of my favorite during this Advent time. Now it may just be how often I watch the Charlie Brown Christmas special as a child, or it could just be my love for hymns. But regardless, this hymn that we just sang, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, it artistically paints a picture of our text this morning. This song of the shepherds and the angels proclaiming the good news of the birth of Jesus. We are in our third week of our Advent series called the Songs of Christmas. Now the passages that we've been reading, they're not songs in the traditional sense, but words said by angels or words said by people. Yet, they are words that proclaim who God is and His actions. These passages are key points in the Nativity account. This morning, we are going to look at the song of the angels and the shepherds in Luke 2, 1-20. But we're going to focus in our sermon just on verses 8-20. through So please open up your copy of God's Word or read off the screen as we read together Luke 2, 1-20. This is the Word of the Lord. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the word shall be registered. This is the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling claws and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom with whom He is pleased. When the, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known to them, had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying, praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. The grass withers and the flowers fade but the word of our Lord stands forever. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, holy and almighty God, please open up our hearts and open up our minds that as we hear your word preached this morning, that you would work in us, that we may hear the truth of your grace and your love, and may it penetrate our hearts that we may have a desire to live for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In the last decade, Birth and pregnancy announcements and their cousin gender reveals have not only come back in style, but they have become more elaborate than ever. <laughs> yes, well, and like it or not, that is what they are. All right. For instance, only a handful of decades ago, birth announcements may only be found in a newspaper with a few lines of text. No picture or anything. Then a few decades later, we would get cards in the mail. Mailing out to your family and friends with a nice card and maybe a picture included. Now birth announcements are a lot more complex. With the birth of social media and texting, things are almost instantaneous. Birth announcements and gender reveals may look something like this, like we have in this one. With the whole family involved, participating in the joy, telling everyone that their baby is about to be born. Or this next next one, having a catchy slogan like, two is the new one. Or this last one, which is my favorite, using cannons shot at each other to show and celebrate the joyous occasion of knowing the gender of your child. <laughs> now, we're not going to go into some more of the crazy ones like videos and all of that, but these celebrating moments sometimes are so spectacular they can't even be caught on film. Yet, these elaborate birth announcements, these elaborate pregnancy announcements and gender reveals, they cannot hold a candle to what we see in Luke chapter 2. In verses um, 8 to 20, we see that there's first one angel who says, Jesus is born. And then an entire army of angels proclaims glory to God in the highest. The Savior, the King, the Lord has come. Not only is this good news, this is amazing news. And this is news not that you shouldn't just put in a newspaper or in a letter or on social media. This is news that needs to be proclaimed for the entire world to hear. For this great news is the greatest news there has ever been. Emmanuel came, meaning God with us. And by his actions brought about salvation from sin. Jesus coming to earth is the greatest promise that God had, had, has fulfilled. We find this promise back in the early parts of God's word in the book of Genesis. Specifically Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve, they had just broken God's one and only law at the time to not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Yet they did. They broke God's one law. And because they broke his one law, sin and death entered into the world. And nothing has been the same since. The world is broken. Yet in the midst of this punishment, God makes a promise. Genesis 3.15, it says this, speaking to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is short, but it is a powerful promise that God would send a Savior to save his people from their sin. Now, as Scripture continues, we see this promise further explained how the Savior would be born, how He would be born of a virgin, how He would be born in Bethlehem, how He would be the great prophet, how He would be the perfect high priest, how He would be the eternal King, and how this Savior, this Messiah, would be the Lord and Savior. Luke 2, 1-20, we see this promise being fulfilled. This is the good news of the gospel. The news that the world had been waiting for. Since the Garden of Eden, they had been waiting for it. Since their first parents, Adam and Eve, sinned against God. This is why an entire army of angels appeared to pronounce the good news that the time had come for the promise of salvation to be fulfilled. It was that important. This morning we are going to look at what God specifically did to fulfill His promise in this passage by looking at who Jesus is, by looking at what Jesus accomplished and how we should respond to the good news of the gospel. Let's look at these first few verses in 8 through 12. In these verses, we see that the good news of the gospel is that God fulfills his promise exactly how he said he would in Scripture, by sending someone to save us from sin. We see this specifically in verse 11. It says this, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Three titles of this Jesus that the Father is sending. Savior, Christ, and Lord. Titles who, which help us understand who Jesus is. Let's look at the first one. Savior. Jesus came to be the Savior. To save his people from the punishment that we all deserve, which we see in Genesis three. Now many now in many ways, people today they paint themselves as the savior of humanity. May it be politicians, whether it be music artists, whether it be professional athletes or celebrities. they all do this. Even Caesar Augustus, who we read about in our passage, he referred to himself at one point during, during when, of the, when this would have been happening as the savior of the world. Yet only one, only one could do it. Not, and he is not um, the leader of a country. He is not a famous person who is only famous because of the abilities they have. Because they cannot save us from our sin. They cannot save us from the pit that we are in. And this is why God sent a person to save his people who could actually save them, not just might, but would actually save them, not just have the resources to save them, not just have the desire, but have the power to save any and all whom he desired to save by any means necessary according to his will. Glory to God for sending the Savior for his creation. Glory to God for the love that he has shown. The second title we see is that Jesus is the Christ. Or in other words, Messiah. Which simply means that Jesus is the promised Savior King. For many years, the Jews, they were looking for this Messiah. They were looking for this King. They knew that he would be from the line of David and that he would be born in the city of David. Yet they thought that he would be a political Messiah, that he would be the one to take over and kick the Romans out of Israel, kick him out of their land. And he wasn't the Messiah they were expecting or even the Messiah they wanted. Yet he was the Messiah they needed. He's the Messiah we need. He was born in a manger, not in a place, not in a palace, where he was where you would expect a, a, a king to be born. He was born of the line of David, yet his mother was an unwed virgin at the time. Later in Jesus' earthly ministry, when he came into Jerusalem, as we see in the triumphal entry around around Easter time, instead of riding in on a war horse. A kingly horse, he instead rides in on a donkey. Yet despite of all this lack of what culturally is seen as kingly, Jesus is king. He fought and continues to fight for his people. He rules and defends us from both his and our enemies. Because Jesus is the savior king, he died and he rose again for his people and we must trust and obey him for this act for he is our king not just a king in a specific time and place in Bethlehem 2000 years ago but in the here and in the now his reign is eternal Glory to God for sending the king of kings. Glory to God for utilizing his kingly authority in salvation. The third title we see is that Jesus is Lord. Now this simple, this simple title, it's the greatest of all. This means that the Savior and the Messiah that God sent was God himself. God loves his creation so much that instead of sending someone that he created to save his people, he sends himself. Born of a woman, yet being fully human and still being fully God, Jesus came to be the God-man, the savior of those needed to be saved from sin. Glory to God for sending himself. Glory to God for pouring out his love upon us God showed us that by coming to earth that he is not some aloof deity barking orders from afar instead he is willing to get involved he got his hands dirty he lowered himself he entered into the muck of this broken world he endured pain he endured grief And walking on this earth, excuse me, he accomplished the full restoration and healing through Jesus' death and resurrection from the dead. And he gives it freely to all who call upon his name. Jesus being the Lord, he also shows us that he is accessible to us. In the Old Testament, God was only accessible through mediators. Through priests and prophets, no Israelite could ever truly see God. They could only be near him by proxy, like a burning bush or a pillar of fire. Yet, as John Calvin put it this way, the revelation of God prior to Christ, it was only like a pencil sketch. It was only like a pencil sketch of who God really is. Yet when when Jesus dwelt among us, God became accessible to us. And we have in His Word, the Bible, what God is actually like. And we can know Him personally. Jesus being Lord reveals to us God's humility and His glory. He humbled Himself coming to earth, being fully God and fully man, Because we needed rescue, he lowered himself from heaven to gather his rebellious children to himself out of love for his creation. Because of Jesus being Lord, we must act like the angels praising God, saying glory to God in the highest. For glory is due his name. Glory to God for not sending an intermediary, but sending himself. So far this morning, we have seen that God the Father sent himself, the second part of the Trinity, to be the Savior, to be the Messiah, the Lord of all creation. But to whom did the Father send Jesus to? Well, verse 10 shows us the answer. It says this, And the angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. All the people, meaning people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. There is no type of person from any background or nationality or people group that Jesus did not come to save. And this is glorious news. He came to save every kind of person. Yet this is not how God's promise was always understood. The Israelites in the Old Testament, they, they thought that God's Savior was coming just to save them, just the physical nation of Israel. They did not understand that the reason the shepherds were so... Oh, no, this is one of the reasons why the shepherds were so excited that the Savior was coming, because it was for Everyone. Because the shepherds, they were ceremonially unclean. They were Jews, but they could not enter the temple. Yet, when they hear this, that Jesus came to save all kinds of people, just as Scripture progressively shows us over time, they were excited. Glory to God for that. Glory to God for His love, for His faithfulness to all generations, to all tongues, tribes, and nations. The good news of salvation is important, for it not only should drive us to praise God because He has fulfilled His promise, but also the fact that He is faithful, it should drive us to trust Him. Just a few weeks ago, we saw in our sermon on Psalm 100 that God's love endures forever and His faithfulness to all generations. He is faithful even in his promises long ago, even in his promises that he made in the garden, for he is faithful forever and ever. Therefore, if we trust God in the large and long-term promises, we can also certainly trust God in the smaller promises that he has made. Now by smaller, I don't mean of less importance, but more personal in nature. Promises that... God will hear and answer our prayers. Promises that God will provide for us by giving us what we need to serve Him and bringing glory to His name. Promises like how God will not let us go. Promises how He will preserve us and keep us from falling away. Promises no matter how big or small, they will be kept because that is who God is. We can also trust God, God's promises that He has made that He has not fulfilled yet. Like how Jesus will return to judge the living and the dead. Promises such as how we will live forever with God where there is no, with, with Him where there is no place or where there is no pain, a place with no sadness, a place with no sorrow. Since we can trust God because He is faithful, how are you doing so now? How are you trusting in God's promises daily? Are you trusting Him to provide for you? Are you trusting Him to love you no matter your sinful failings? Are you trusting Him to keep His promises even though you are unfaithful to Him? Know that you can trust God for He has not. No, He cannot break His promises to us because of who He is. Trust in Him, for He is the only one who is completely worthy of our trust. Glory to God for His trustworthiness. In our passage this morning, we have seen that God keeps and fulfills His promises. And that He... We also see that in our our passage this morning that the good news of the gospel, which the angels heralded, is that what Jesus would accomplish. We see this in verses 13 and 14. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those whom he is pleased What would make, or what would Jesus do that would take an entire army of angels to sing glory to God in the highest and peace among those whom he is pleased? The simple answer is, he brought peace. He brought peace. Now that last phrase of verse 14, it's translated in a way which can be a little bit confusing. Now it does not mean that are um, pieces of byproduct of those who God is happy with? Rather, a better way of translating this from the Greek to get the really the full orbed meaning of this would be this on earth, peace among those whom God has graciously chosen. This gives us more of a full meaning of what this is saying. It tells us of what Jesus has come to accomplish, that he has come to bring peace to those who had none. Not just peace with another human being, but peace with God. It's another way of saying what Jesus came to bring peace between God and man by saving us from our sin, accomplishing his role as Savior. For before Jesus acted as our Savior, our relationship with God was broken. We were at war with God only being able to break God's law and nothing but. Yet Jesus as Savior brought salvation so that our relationship with God would be healed. And we would be at peace with Him, having peace through Him. Glory to God for the maker and bringer of peace. Glory to His name. Now, we don't just see how Jesus did this in this passage. But we do see it in the rest of Scripture. We see what Jesus did and how we could not do it ourselves. He lived a perfect life according to the law. He obeyed it perfectly. Even though He was tempted to sin, He did not sin. Even though He was fully man and He got tired, He still lived the law perfectly. He was tempted to sin in every way that we are tempted, yet He did not sin. In word, thought, or deed, and because he never sinned, he was able to sacrifice himself on our behalf. Even though he lived perfectly, he chose to take the punishment that we deserve—the punishment we saw in Genesis six, or sorry, Genesis three, suffering, pain, and separation—so that we could be forgiven. Then he, a savior, he didn't ask. He did not have to ask, but was given us or, but we were given to it by God, so that everyone who believes in him, everyone who confesses Jesus as Savior, everyone who has desires to have their sins forgiven will be forgiven. This brings glory to God, this brings peace that passes understanding, that gives those who are followers of Jesus peace on earth. glory to God for being the peace bringer. As we said before, God fulfills his promises and this should drive us to trust God. Similarly, the fact that Jesus brings peace should drive us to praise. Praising him like the army of angels shouting out to the countryside for the shepherds to hear singing songs that praise god worshiping him praising him by recognizing god as the reason that you have all your possessions the reason that you have your abilities the reason that you have everything that god has given you recognizing that you are the that god is the reason that you even exist we must praise god for all that he has given us and most importantly we can praise him because of his dying, his shedding of his blood for our sin. Glory to God, the one who is worthy of praise. So far this morning, we have seen that the good news of the gospel, it shows that God fulfills his promises. And because of that, we can trust him. We have also seen what Jesus has accomplished through his incarnation, bringing peace and bringing glory to his name. Lastly, this morning, we see how we are to respond to the good news of the gospel. In verses 15 through 17, we see what the shepherds do, what they actually do. As soon as the army of angels leaves them, the verse says this, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. So what we see in verses 15 to 17 is that they unanimously decided to go to Bethlehem and see the incarnate Savior. Without discussing it, they just They just go. I mean, if it was us, we probably would have had a committee meeting. We probably would have talked it over and all, and then decided a few weeks later, all right, maybe we should go and do this. No, they just went. And it's important to note that the angel, the angel didn't command them to go see Jesus. Now the angel does imply this, but the shepherds go because they desire to see him. They respond to this invitation without arguing among themselves, and they left immediately. Now this isn't a quick walk or a quick run over to Bethlehem. The fields near Bethlehem would have been a considerable distance away from the town proper. And remember, it's not just that they were standing there, they also had their sheep, their flock around them. and they didn't have modern day vehicles to hop in and drive across. Yet they took this trek. They took this trek knowing it wouldn't be a good, no, it wouldn't be an easy one because they desire to see him. And as soon as they get there, where they find Mary and Joseph, they find them using the sign that was given to them back in verse 12, a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. This shows that Jesus was greatly cared for, yet he was lying in a manger, in a food trough, not a place you would expect a king to be laying in, or a king, new king to be born into, yet It's where they go because that's what the angels said so they could find him immediately. And as soon as they find him, they share with Mary and Joseph what the angels told them. Now, Mary and Joseph, they had been visited by angels before. Mary had been told about her carrying the Christ child and to name him Jesus. Joseph was visited by angels, letting him know about Mary's immaculate conception. Yet they knew this way of communication wasn't ordinary. But they also knew it was how God did communicate with his people. It's interesting that we don't see anything about the shepherds bowing down and worshiping Jesus immediately. Instead, the first action they do is to tell Mary and Joseph what happened. The shepherds, they're so excited about the good news, they can't keep it to themselves. When was the last time you were as excited about the gospel as the shepherds were? that you couldn't refrain yourself from speaking about it, couldn't stop sharing about it. These shepherds, they were in awe of the good news of the gospel. They had passion. They had a sense of unfiltered awe of the love that God has for us. And it's demonstrated by their actions. If you are a follower of God, this is how we should be acting. Unable to stop talking about what God is doing and who he is. But what happens when we lose our desire for doing that? We lose our awe of God. What should we do? Should we strive for mountaintop experiences, going to conferences, going to retreats, so that we can feel that passion again? You don't have to go to a different place to to regain this awe. We regain this awe by digging into God's word, by studying it, by meditating on it. Or in other words, doing what Mary did in verse 19. She pondered them in her heart, studying God's word, hearing it taught, hearing it preached. When we are diving into God's word, we are learning more and more about who God is and how his mercies are new every morning. Every time we read God's Word, there is something new about it. God is showing us something that we need to see and the depth of God's love that He has for each of us and how we are to respond to what He is showing us. In addition to reading God's Word, we can also spend time in prayer asking Him to restore our awe of Him. Praying like we see in Psalm fifty-one, twelve, when David prays, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. This should be our prayer as well. When we are in a season of dryness, in a season where we feel that we have lost our awe of God, praying to him to restore it to us. Glory to God that He cares for His people. Glory to God that He loves us enough to restore our awe of Him. The shepherds weren't the only ones in awe of who Jesus is. And they worship God as they return to their flocks as we see in verse 20. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and that had been told to them. When was the last time you worshiped God outside Sunday mornings? Outside family worship, if you haven't, outside of a scheduled time to worship God like devotions or mealtime prayers? For many of us, the answer, that may be hard. We, if you're like me, you love to schedule things. You may not follow through on the schedule at all, but you like having the schedule. You like doing things at certain times so they don't forget them. Yet worship doesn't always need to be scheduled. Do you think, like I said before, do you think the shepherds stopped to have a conversation about how they should worship God or when they should do it for his coming to earth? No, they spontaneously started to worship God as he was lying there in the manger. This needs to be our attitude as well. Now, Hear me out. I am not suggesting that we forgo formal gathered worship or scheduling times of worship. Far from it. We see it over and over again how we are commanded to worship God formally as a community. But don't box yourself in so much that you neglect the fact that God is working in your life at different parts of the day in some way that brings you to your knees to praise him right then and right there and worship him as part of your daily life. Pray to him whenever and wherever you may be. Worship him whether you're in the car or whether you're at home or whether you're in your office or at school. Worship him in spirit and in truth as he commands us to worship him. Singing praises to him, reading his word, being like the shepherds, Prepared to worship God even though they were in the middle of tending their flocks at night, worshiping Him even though you may be doing something in the middle of your work day. Giving glory to God, glory to Him, glory to His name for the peace that He has brought. For He has brought Jesus. Glory to God the Savior, glory to God the Christ, glory to God the King. Who is Lord of all? Glory to the one who came to earth to bring salvation to every tongue, tribe, and nation. Glory to God for bringing the good news of the gospel. Glory to God in the highest. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Holy and Almighty God, I thank you for giving us your word. I thank you for sending Jesus. I thank you that you sent him to be the savior, to be the king, to be our Lord. Father, I thank you for sending yourself. I thank you for not just making a promise, but keeping your promise. Please help us to praise you. Please help us to trust you. Please help us to worship you even though we may be in a season of dryness, even though the world may be falling apart, Father, we know that you are faithful. For you have a record of it, Father. Thank you for being our God. Please help us to live our lives according to your word, to live as worshipers of you, and to share your gospel with all who will hear. Is in Jesus' name we pray, amen. As our song of response this morning We are singing